0: Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Annette Stevenson. Today we're going to
1: be talking about the digitalization of documentation. And just to give a little perspective to that, we'll start with a little bit of a timeline. In the 1980s, the first digitalization of documentation was released, but it was not widespread at that point The first version of Word, Word 1.0, was released in 1983 for Xenix and MS-DOS. The first Windows version came in 1989. And it really wasn't successful until Windows 3.0 in 1990, which did end up becoming a huge commercial success. That was when we all started sort of becoming aware of the use of a digital document in place of a printed document. And Dropbox, as far as a shared space, a place to share those files, was not founded until 2007. So we're talking about a relatively recent sequence of occurrences as far as the introduction of technology and software that has helped support what used to be a vast number of actual paper documents that supported all sorts of uh, corporate scenarios, nonprofit scenarios, and certainly in the boardroom. So today I have with me a guest, Dottie Schindlinger. She is Vice President of Thought Leadership for Diligent, which is the parent company for board docs. She is also the author, co-author of a book that's about to release April 16th. It is called Governance in the Digital Age, a guide for the modern corporate board director. And those are available as of April 16th at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and wherever books are sold. So thank
0: you for being with us, Dottie. Thanks so much, it's my pleasure to be here.
1: So just thinking about how recently we were all dealing with stacks of papers in meetings and as reference for any materials that we might need to reference during the course of our job or during the course of volunteer work, describe how the traditional board governance scenario historically or
0: even yet today, how that typically operates in the school board scenario. I'm happy to. And, you know, it's interesting in your introduction, you were talking about when Word came on the scene and when Windows 3.0 came on the scene. And that basically is something I remember (laughs) very vividly when when I was in college, you know, the first time that I, I wrote a paper on a computer as opposed to on a typewriter. So it, you know... Hopefully, I'm not old enough that that is ancient (laughs) history, but I'm beginning to feel a little bit like a dinosaur. But yeah, I mean, it it really has been just within the past few years that we've seen such a dramatic change in the way we communicate with one another. And sometimes it's um, hard to remember how recent that change has been. But what's been so fascinating is how slow that change has been to make inroads into the boardroom Um, and you mentioned you know what has changed recently what has just changed or hasn't yet changed and for a lot of boards really not much has changed. You know, kind of a typical board scenario would be uh, people sitting around a table, particularly in the school board world, you know, they may be sitting in front of microphones as well with big stacks of paper at their elbow. And as they're going through the proceedings of the meeting, they're looking at the agenda, they're looking at the supporting documentation, they're flipping back and forth between pages, maybe writing little notes in the margin. Um, You know, that kind of describes a very typical board scenario. And what's been really fascinating is to watch how over time there has been a trend and a movement towards digitization of all that information. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a couple of really good consequences. I mean, when you just think about, first of all, the the savings that you can reap in not having to print so much paper, um, you know, that's certainly a good thing. But there's a number of other consequences that might not be as obvious that I think are maybe a bit more interesting. And certainly in terms of what we were interested to learn more about in the book um, are quite relevant. So one of the things that's interesting, once you start to go digital – particularly in in the boardroom, you have the opportunity to do more searching for information, which Mm. is much harder to do if everything's on paper. Sure. So for example, if I wanna know, when was the last time we spoke about this issue? And when we spoke about it last time, what decision did we arrive at? And how long did it take us to get there? And what sort of feedback or input did we get from the community as we made that decision? What was the context within which we took that vote? Those are questions that are very difficult to answer if you have to go digging through stacks of paper. Absolutely. Now, you know, with every uh, FOIA request, people have had to do that, right? For a long time now, anytime you get a request for information, you got to go digging through those stacks of paper. Once you digitize all that information, that search process becomes a fraction of a millisecond. And that is going to then allow the board members, the members of the community... Uh, the faculty, students, whomever is interested to get the answers to those questions to do so very rapidly from whatever device happens to be nearby. And if they don't have their own device, they can do that from a public library. They can walk into the school district and ask to get that information, and the person in the school district can quickly get that information for them rather than having to go down into the archives and dig through paper. Yeah, so it it changes the way that we think about getting questions answered. Okay. It also can change the way we think about framing up questions. We, we now have a, an ability to ask different kinds of questions because getting the answers is going to be a lot less cumbersome. Okay. So if you've touched
1: on a couple of real benefits, efficiency from an efficiency standpoint as well as an accessibility standpoint. Are there any other ways that you would describe that the digital innovation and
0: technology has changed or advanced how a board might govern? Um, Absolutely. So there's a couple things, the big one being transparency. I think that we all recognize how this digital world, this digital age that we're living in has made it really hard to keep secrets. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Not, Not just if you're under the age of 30 and post every meal on Instagram, but really, truly, everything that happens now is being recorded somewhere on some device. And that, I think, can be a very um, powerful set of circumstances. It can be a force for good. It can also be a force for distraction. Let's not, you know, let's not be uh, uh, clueless about that. Definitely. That is certainly a possibility. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to boards, I think it's a it can be very much a force for good, because I think for a long time, particularly school boards, have been anxious to some degree of ensuring that they have the right level of transparency and openness with their community. And certainly the community is very concerned about that. Um, you know, community, members of the media, members of legislation, you know, we all want to know what's happening within our school boards. And we want to basically know Um, That money is being used wisely, that our kids are being thought of first and foremost, that, you know, our communities are being taken care of. And if we're concerned that we're not getting information, we begin to dig, we begin to ask questions, we begin to get concerned. So moving everything digital and having boards communicate in more digital ways makes that transparency equation much simpler, and it helps, I think, build trust with the community. So they know if they want to get a question answered, they can, and they don't have to go through a third party to do so. They don't have to call someone in an office and get that information delivered to them. They can get it themselves, and so that also builds trust.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So let's talk about what are those tools and the technology that's available now that didn't used to be that is specifically utilized
0: in the boardroom by either a corporate board or a school board. Sure. I mean, so I work for a company that offers a number of different products that are designed and purpose-built for boards of directors, whether those are school boards or corporate boards, nonprofit boards, healthcare boards, you name it. And what's different about those kinds of tools and that class of tool from other things, say, like a Dropbox or, or a, you know, a SharePoint or other things, is that these are tools that are built specifically around the way boards govern. So they, they come embedded with tools that help facilitate the meeting process. So everything from creating the agendas to attaching the supporting documentation to those agendas to managing the voting process to actually managing the meeting itself so for example in the board docs product um, you know, you have this thing called the meeting control panel that you can launch during a school board meeting and actually have a giant display up on the screen that shows exactly where you are in the agenda. Oh. Uh, the item that you're discussing, any supporting documentation that was attached to it, and even maybe has a timer so that if, you know, members of the community are going to be um, giving commentary or, or uh, testimony as part of the proceedings of the meeting, they have their timer right there. They know exactly when their three or five minutes are going to be up. Okay. Um, so it's a way of of just kind of literally keeping everyone on the same page. And from the school district perspective and from the community perspective, there's not that delay that you get when everything's printed, right? right? So if you print something, the moment something changes, you now have to reprint it. And so there's that delay and that added expense. And, you know, expense could be in the paper, but also in the time to create that new material. Absolutely. Once it goes digital, there's no delay. The moment it's changed, it's live for everyone. And so there's no concern whatsoever of getting additional copies made, nothing like that. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about these tools, again, you know, this is sort of a broad statement across all software of this ilk. Is that you have the ability to control access and permissions. So for example if you have material that needs to be available for executive session or closed session you can put that information in the platform but mark it private just to you know executive content. So only the board members and the senior executives could see that information you know unless and until it's appropriate to make it public and that's very important for when the board is dealing with sensitive HR issues or you know other things that would not be appropriate to have in the public eye, you know, really to protect the privacy of those that that, uh, the issue is about. So they have to make sure to handle that material appropriately, and the system is designed to allow that, make that very simple. And then I would say one of the other sort of aspects of this kind of software is about policy. So you, I mean, obviously every school district, every municipality, every public board has a wide array of policy documents that they are managing and there's new policy updates all the time. I know you know here at PSBA there are policy updates that come out regularly Mm -hmm. and through this kind of software it's very easy for example we work with PSBA to push those policy updates through board docs directly to all the school boards that are part of PSBA. So every time there's a policy update that's actually coming to the schools through board docs whether or not they are a board doc subscriber they they can get their policy updates directly through that system and the benefit there is all of that is digitized and so all of it is searchable so if I want to go in let's say that I'm a member of a school board in Wyoming and I'm curious to know what's happening in schools around the country around you know bathroom usage policy for example I want to you know kind of do a search about that I can go into any public instance of board docs for any school district that uses it and do um, what's called a meta search and it will pull up all of the approved policy language from any school in the country and show me what's happening with um, those types of policies. So it gives um, incredible power, not just to the individual school district that's using the system, but also to really anyone who's involved in public school board work and is looking for good examples of things that they can use. Wow, so again, another example of real accessibility to information
1: there. Exactly. You mentioned um, setting access and permissions and for reasons of confidentiality. And I'm also wondering if the introduction of paperless document solutions has impacted the area of cybersecurity.
0: Absolutely. Well, certainly, anytime you have documentation through a digital format, you're going to need to be concerned about security. And, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting as we think about cybersecurity in particular is that. Um, I feel like sometimes there's this hesitation of putting things online because it's going to make them less secure. Mm-hmm. And yet, what's really interesting, we did a um, research report, a diligent, just uh, about six months ago with Forrester, which is big, you know, research research firm. And we wanted to find out, you know, kind of what was happening around cybersecurity globally with boards. And one of the most interesting things that came back was that um, 29% of the respondents globally told us that they had had a data breach that resulted from having lost paper records. Mm. So you know, the interesting thing about paper mm-hmm. is it's not more secure, mm-hmm. it's just another kind of asset that can be mismanaged, misplaced, or stolen. So when you think about um, you know cyber records and digital records, you just have to make sure that you understand what needs to happen to those records to keep them safe. So things need to be stored in an encrypted fashion, Uh, the protocols around the server need to be really protected, the application itself needs to be protected, and there needs to be protection for information as it transfers across the internet from the server to your device. And then of course it's also a good idea to make sure your device is encrypted. So those different layers of encryption, those would be things that you would want to coordinate. If you're a school board member, you'd want to start asking questions about this, and you'd want to coordinate with your IT team within the school district, maybe get some help if need be. So you definitely want to make sure that you're getting uh, the right expertise in the boardroom to help you know, guide the group in figuring out what your cybersecurity policies and cyber resilience policies are going to be. And it's very important for the board to do this. You might be thinking, why? Well, it's because the board is receiving, in some cases, the most sensitive information the school district has mm, before yes. anyone else. And so if they're not using secure communication tools to share that information, let's say that you know they're receiving it on their Gmail, for example, which right. we know more than half of board members around the country do. You know, Gmail is is really not a secured system. It's been breached multiple times. It's not designed to be a secured system. It's just Mm -hmm. email. Mm -hmm. And so you wanna really kinda start to take a critical eye to how are we communicating information that is sensitive? How are we making sure that we are protecting student data and you know em- enrollment data, employment data, health records. How are we making sure we're doing that right if we're sharing that kind of information with the board? Um, so those are some things that you might want to take a take a look at. And of course, there are lots of ways to make sure that information stays secure online. You just have to be conscious of it sure. and cautious of it. Sure, absolutely. And so. We've talked about an agenda solution.
1: We've talked about the use of uh, board docs or a similar platform for policy.
0: What other types of documentation might flow through that channel? I mean, really anything that the board would touch. So for example, let's say that you have to do the superintendent evaluation once a year. Okay. Um, You can use tools like board docs to conduct that entire evaluation process. You can set up strategic goals and track those goals through the system. And then you can attach any specific item that came up at a board meeting to one of those strategic goals and at the end of the year quickly put together a report that shows all the different things the superintendent was meant to do for the year and see what the progress against those goals has been. So it's really very simple to do that. You can manage committee information in the system. Um, If you have additional boards that are part of your school district, you can manage their information through the system. So there's really quite a bit that you can do. I think one of the interesting things we've started to see happening as many school districts are getting used to this kind of software is that the superintendents are now using this system as a communication channel with their boards. So if they might have a, you know, a weekly newsletter or a weekly email that they used to send out to the board, and now, you know, maybe they're trying to move away from email for those security concerns I mentioned earlier, they can start to post that information in their board docs platform, and the board members instantly have it, you know, as do any members of the public, you know, so if they want to make that a public announcement, they have the ability to do that, and it goes, you know, right out on the public uh, view of the system. So makes it very, very simple. Okay. And on the corporate side, so a corporate
1: board, do do the efficiencies look very different? Are they similar? What translates across
0: uh, from the school board over to the corporate side or or the reverse of that? So there are a lot of you know similarities in terms of how these systems function and the kinds of things that they can do between the corporate side and the school board side there may be some nuances though on the corporate side that are a little different so for example if you are on the board of a publicly traded company here in the US one of the things that you have to do every year is is submit this very lengthy uh, directors and officers questionnaire that questionnaire okay. could be hundreds of questions and 30, 40, 50 pages long and has to be submitted by every director every year. So you can imagine if you're a corporate secretary at a big company, what an enormous hassle this is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, so there are systems, yeah, Diligent actually has one that are designed to specifically collect that kind of information and then just easily create a report that you can submit right to the SEC. So mm. just completely streamlining that whole process. And once you've built out your questionnaire one time, you can then just use it every year, which is a okay. huge advantage. Um, now, there will be changes to the questionnaire every year, but making a couple of tweaks to a big document that you made once is a completely different thing than starting over every year on paper. Yes. <laughs> so indeed. So it's <laughs> really a huge efficiency saving. Um, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting, and I think this is true, both for corporate boards and for school boards, is there's another sort of um, unintended consequence of using this type of software, and that is helping the board to be a bit more digitally minded. Okay, And that was something we explored in some detail in the book. I mean, what's interesting about the the book, we really didn't focus very much at all on the tools that are being used in boardrooms. We really didn't focus on the software in the boardroom. What we were interested to understand is how is it getting harder to govern and why is it getting harder to govern in this digital age? And one of the big factors there is the speed of information. And if you think, for example, that more than 400 executives were either terminated or asked to resign from their posts in the past year because of a hashtag called MeToo, Um, You know, when those sorts of things travel at the speed of a tweet, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a very different level of prowess that board members need to have. You know, we used to be able to gather all the available data, come together in a meeting and deliberate on the findings and come up with a balanced, nuanced decision that might have taken some time to arrive at. And we might not live in that world anymore. You know, it might go public first. And then we have to deal with it internally. Sure. So that's a huge set of pressures that board members are dealing with that are brand new, that they've never had to deal with before. And frankly, a lot of the structures of governance are not equipped to handle this well. Absolutely. You know, you think about parliamentary procedure, for example, it's it's all about being deliberative, right? And so you know, deliberate means slow. <laughs> it we does. Don't, we, we don't live in a slow time, you know. So it's uh, there's some stuff that's really happening that's interesting. And I think um, school boards and corporate boards, really every board, is feeling that pressure. Um, And and quite frankly, school boards might feel it a a little bit less so than corporate boards for a couple of reasons. One is that school boards, the average age of school boards tends to be a a bit lower than the average age of corporate boards, which is now Hmm. at 63.5 years of age average. Interesting. Um, Also, I would say that that school boards tend to have a little bit larger size than most corporate boards. The average corporate board is about seven members. Um, School boards might be that size or they might be a little bit larger. And so sometimes that helps to give a bit more... Uh, diversity in terms of perspective around the board table, right? Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is that school boards meet more frequently. Um, So corporate boards traditionally have only met about four times a year. Now they're starting to step that up and meet more frequently, partly because of all these pressures that they're under. School boards, I think, generally meet about once a month, maybe every two weeks, um, you know, for most school districts. And so they're at a bit of an advantage in terms of how frequently they're seeing one another. But regardless of those things that are different, what they have in common is that they all have to be able to respond quickly and accurately and appropriately, no matter what gets thrown at them. Wow. <laughs> and that that is becoming a tall, tall order yeah. for, for directors everywhere. And on the topic of how often they're
1: meeting, I, I did a little bit of tallying and, and talking to our head of policy. And if you think about the documentation that might stem through each of these meetings, it sort of puts it into perspective, I believe. So school boards do meet typically around twice a month and not in July, so they have about 22 meetings on average per year. And then the committee meetings, there might be 11 meetings averaged for committees. There might be executive sessions that could be around six. And if you kind of tally all of that up, it is possible for school boards, when including the committee meetings, to meet nearly 40 times a year. And, and that's just sort of an estimate or an average. But if you think about the documentation that might flow through almost 40 meetings, it starts to pile up if it were physical documents that they would be dealing with. And certainly oh, they, yeah. they would not have the ability to have all that quick exchange of information and quick reference ability that would be virtually impossible.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's, Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah.
1: And so the other thing that caught my interest is you were mentioning the age, um, sort of average age of the corporate board versus the school board. And so on the school board side, how comfortable do you find that audience to be with the the use of a digital solution? Do you find them to
0: be resistant or really embrace all of the efficiencies that are coming their way? That's a great question. I will say that's something that has changed pretty dramatically over the last five years. So even five years ago, I think we were finding many more school board members who were a bit reticent to going digital. They were a little unsure if the system was going to be easy to use or if they were going to be successful using it. And they also had concerns about whether or not the members of the public would be successful using it. Um, Really, in the last five years, that has changed pretty dramatically. And I think part of that has to do with the ubiquity of cell phones, to be honest with you. So many people now are just very used to having smartphones in their pocket, being able to look up any information whenever they want through a browser. And that's all that it requires in order to use a system like BoardDocs. All you have to be able to do is navigate a website. If Mm, If you're able to do that, you can use the system without any hesitation. And so now that that's become the norm, um, you know, really for the vast majority of Americans, not all, but the vast majority, I think that there's a much less hesitation. We're not getting that kind of pushback very often anymore. Okay. What I will say, however, is, and in, this is certainly true in Pennsylvania as well, there may be some rural communities where connectivity is still an issue, right? So mm, Wi Fi yes. speeds might be a bit slow, and you know, even if they're using a cellular network. Um, they might have, you know, 3G, maybe they don't have 4G yet. So that that is still a bit of a concern. That is still something that I think some communities are dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is what we've been finding is that in those communities where connectivity is a question mark, the school tends to be the first institution that is well-wired. Uh, <laughs> so so that's a bit of an advantage for school boards is that, is. you know, you, you are a school board member as opposed to a board member on another institution that may not have the same high-speed connectivity that the school does. Um, yeah. Schools tend to be wired first, and that's – Good. That's a very good thing because we want to position our young people for the future, and this is the world we live in. So, um, so I think we don't get those those hesitation um, pu- pushback as much anymore. Okay, that's true on the corporate side as well. You know, mm-hmm. again, it, it is too funny sometimes. You'll you'll be talking to a corporate director who'll be saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to use this as they're reading email on their phone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah, you're, like,
0: you're going to be just fine.
1: <laughs> you're like, if you can do that, then you can do this. It's not going to be a problem. Exactly right. Great. Um, so in your book, you talk about a couple of topics that caught my attention. You talk about
0: building a resilient board. Can you describe what that means? Absolutely. And this was something that really came through the research that we collected through the book and in speaking with a number of directors. Um, you know, it, it used to be when you would think about what what did you need in board members in order to be successful you know, there would be lots of different criteria that you would want to fill. And in and, uh, you know, particular, you might be looking for former CEOs or current CEOs. You might be looking for financial prowess. These days, what a lot of directors are telling us is that they want people who understand how to build resilient businesses, because things are changing so quickly. There's an acronym that economists use, which is uh, VUCA, V-U-C-A, and it stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and Ambiguity. And that that VUCA acronym describes the, the world we've been living in for at least a decade now. And when you think about things being volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, there's really only one clear winner, and that's going to be the organization that can keep its eyes set on True North and not get really stuck in how they're going to reach True North. Um, they, They are really nimble, right? If they see, okay, we still need to go in that direction, but now all the the pathways have changed and we have to quickly pivot and go down another pathway. They can just do it because they're resilient. And so that idea of building a resilient board is a really interesting one. What it requires is for individual directors to step up their game. They have to take the the mental attitude of I am a student of this organization it is my job to learn as much as possible about the environment within which this organization operates I need to understand the competition I need to understand our uh, collaborators and our partners I need to understand the community I need to understand what's happening broadly in technology and what might come down the pike to completely upend the things that we think are true today you know they might have to completely change their assumptions on a dime and a good example of this would be the company ikea so this was an example that was given to us Mm by one of the directors we interviewed Um, you know ikea is i think we all know what ikea is right it's a big (laughs) furniture company it's often been known for you know decent quality sometimes lower (laughs) quality but decent quality (laughs) furniture that you construct yourself well, what's interesting is that model has been very successful for them for 40 years, until recently, when we started to become part of this uh, culture that you know people want things to be customized for them, and they want things to ar- arrive ready to go, right? That pret kind of idea that you know we want things to just arrive on a doorstep ready to use immediately. And so there started to be um, a bit of a slackening in sales at IKEA, and they were a little concerned about this. And they decided, as a board, to make an uh, acquisition offer of a company called TaskRabbit. If you've ever heard of TaskRabbit, basically it's almost like an Uber service for people to do tasks for you. I've heard of So that. Yeah. yeah. So they acquired TaskRabbit, and it was absolutely brilliant because now what can happen is you buy your piece of furniture at IKEA, um, IKEA now will pair you up with a Tasker, if you wish, and that Tasker will not only bring that piece of furniture to your house, but construct it in your living room. And you don't have to pay a ton of money. It's, you know, kind of like Uber rates. It's really kind of affordable. Um, You can negotiate that with the tasker. And then you don't have to worry about when am I going to have time on a Saturday to build my bookshelf, right? They can just do it for you. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of sort of resilient attitudes that a board needs to have, right? IKEA could have gotten really stuck in this idea that our brand is about do-it-yourself. And they had to say, you know what, maybe our brand is about build it at home, but you don't have to do it on your own. Maybe our brand is about quality furniture at a reasonable price. And once they sort of made that pivot, um, their stock went right back up. Their sales have gone way up. So it's that kind of resilience that that organizations and boards really need to adopt, that idea of not getting too stuck, not getting too mired in any one way to get to your goal. Absolutely.
1: So April 16th governance in the digital age comes out. Dottie, I would like to thank you so much for being here with us today, sharing your expertise and insights. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Listeners, I encourage you to go to our website at keyedradio.org for more information and resources supporting today's discussion. This is Annette Stevenson saying thank you for listening to Keystone Education Radio.
0: The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.